Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. This is DJ Psycho Dandy here with my <laughs> intrepid co-host, MC Diggy Biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be our new sign-on. Yes. Um, DJ Psycho Dandy and MC, MC Diggy, Diggy Biscuits. Biscuits. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> this will all make more sense as we in the second half of the episode uh hello joe hi joshua uh and hello to you dear listener thank you once again for joining us look at you turning it up like turning they're not turning it up but changing it up yes exactly yeah. changing it up turning it up by changing it up <laughs> how's your week been um it's been good it's been good um I had a um, I had a work meeting, my new job this week, and someone came in and we were having like a meeting event type thing, and there was someone that came in and they had this lovely bright shirt that said, horror is queer. Very nice. And I immediately wanted to be their friend, so I went up to them and I said, I love your shirt. Um, tell me what your three favorite queer horror movies are. And then they looked at me and they were like, well, all horror is queer. <laughs> and I was like, ah! Um, I immediately texted Heather and was like, Heather, the people know. The people do know. <laughs> the people they do be knowing. Yeah. I was similarly educating somebody on uh, Twitter about that this week because somebody posted that they, um, it's like a filmmaker and they're making a film and they're like, the future of horror is queer. And I'm like, here, queer has always been our horror has always been queer. Queer has also always been horror, but mm -hmm. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as evidenced by uh, continuing attacks against us, but uh, we're going to try to be positive today, right? Stay on the stay, trying stay, to be positive, stay positive. sir. Uh, we're going to gaslight ourselves into positivity. Um, <laughs> So we can survive. Uh, but yeah, and I was just like, yeah, like we've always been here, you know, since you we've know, all we've already been new we already been new exactly and so i was kind of you know and i was really writing about because i was like you know from nosferatu till now you know because fw murnau obviously was a was a known homosexual uh when he made nosferatu and i mean there's and even before that but it's talking about film at least you know it's like yeah mm -hmm. uh we've never not been here we've never not been writing it and shaping it so watch out yeah <laughs> Uh, but otherwise, you have you having a good week? Yes, having a very good week. Good. Um, it's been... I know um, you're in the new job and stuff. New so job. I had an unexpected day off, which was great. 
Um, I bought some clothes for work. Uh, it's so nice to see how Fright School has informed all aesthetics of my life because um, I brought my dear friend Mark uh, to uh, the Big and Tall store, the Big and Tall Emporium uh, here mm. in San Diego. And um, Mark is uh, Mark is an ally. <laughs> Mark, Mark is an ally to the fat. And um, I was like, how about this? And I just pulled a bunch of shirts before he got to the store. And he was like, they're all black. And I was like, well, yeah, because... Yeah, because that's what happens. That's what happens. <laughs> um, and we were like making some cuts because, you know, it's just I was not going to buy an entirely new wardrobe. And I was like, no, this shirt is like if I was Joshua, <laughs> this shirt, is, <laughs> it needs to be like we need to look um, it, we need to look uh, f- figure out what my aesthetic is. So there we go. Still figuring that out, too. What's the uh, work wardrobe aesthetic like? There is no dress code. OK, so literally come as you are. I personally have adopted a um, dress for your day. OK, uh, type of like, you know, a personal aesthetic. So like, OK, yeah. if I don't have any meetings or if they're all just at the office or I'm not talking, not going to be seen or perceived by anyone outside of the org, then I'll, um, you know, I'll wear like shorts or something like that. But um, outside of the office, it's very, uh, you know, try to keep it profess- professional, professional. I love it. That's great. How was your week? It's been good. Yeah. You know, just uh, the same as every, you know, I mean, it's always uh, a lot of classwork, a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, have it really. Uh, well, we did wrap up The Last of Us. You know, the finale aired. I uh, haven't seen it yet. Oh, OK. Well, then never mind. So we'll talk about that Damn. again soon. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll uh, you know, break down our thoughts in the future. Yes. Um. Oh, I did want, before we get too much in, I have been feeling a little sad because it was Creature Feature Weekend. Yeah. And so seeing all of our friends over at Horror Movie Night and, and, and others like posting about their adventures mm-hmm. made me, I was just, I missed everybody. I was like, oh, we're not there. Boo. I know. Um, yeah. So just shout out to them. I hope it was fun. I hope you sold lots of products and talk to lots of fun people and just had a great time and hopefully we'll make it uh, next year or I know. to some other cons uh, very very soon because I do want to get yeah. out and see folks it made me I was like oh I really want to be there it looked yeah. like so much fun yeah. I felt the same way seeing everybody at Renegade um, you know a couple weeks ago and just all the films that they were showing and a lot of the films that I loved actually ended up winning awards and um Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kay came back and yeah. did a presentation of the new director's cut of Black uh, Black Lake, and that was very exciting. So I, I'm just hoping that uh, you know, I'm hoping by next year or, or at least by later this year, even we could do some more, uh, get out and see, do some fun stuff. So um, yeah, just to just to say, we definitely missed y'all. <laughs> oh, love that. Uh, you know, and everybody else that's part of, you know, the Geekscape network that was there doing cool stuff. So anyways, yeah. Um, all right. What else? Uh, I reached, we watched season one of true detective cause I'm trying to get into, uh, you know, the, they're going to have a new season coming out with Jamie or Jodie Foster, uh, which is very exciting. I love to see her back in like a neo-noir criminal yeah. something kind of role. So I was rewatching that. That show, it's so strange. It's so twisty. So it's uh, it's very, very fun to watch. So um, what else? 
Yesterday I had some friends over, made dinner, and we did, we didn't do the full thing, but we did like the Hell is a Teenage Girl duo. We watched Jawbreaker and Jennifer's Body. Aww. Yeah, so each person had not seen one of the films. So one had seen Jawbreaker, one had seen Jennifer's Body. So it was kind of like cross, you know. That's nice. Not that they're exactly related, although again, there is some of that, that like Heather's, you know, begat, (laughs) you know, Jawbreaker begat. Mean Girls begat. <laughs> I think Jennifer's body is the you know the horror, yes, the super horror version of that. It's that interlude in the you know the horror book of Genesis, there right? It's just you know after the arc is like and so and so begat so and so, begat so and so. Yep. Uh, so that was really fun. I hadn't watched uh, either of those movies in a really long time, and it was just fun to revisit them and remember some of the quotes and just being, you know, they're such catty, like, fun movies. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been the week for the most part. What about you? You watch anything exciting? Do anything? Um, what have I been watching? I, I really haven't been watching anything other than, like, my usual, like, um, I've been making my way through episodes of... Um, next level chef um and then uh last week was it last yeah last week um season 20 of top chef premiered uh so i've been watching that and i love i love me some top chef um especially this year is they're doing something interesting it's an all-stars season oh okay uh, but it's the 20th season of top chef which in itself is a feat and they have brought back contestants from that were either winners or finalists of top chef seasons from around the world so there's like top chef italy top chef thailand poland north africa middle east uh you know all of these different uh areas spain brazil mexico so they're trying to um they're all in london and they're gonna see who the most who is the winner of top chef all-stars international all-stars season 20 how cool yeah very very cool uh, great challenges so far. Um, they had to do, you'll love this. They had to do a challenge where their first um, elimination challenge was to create a vegetable forward dish where the there was a protein that had to be used, but it was just a side dish, like an accompaniment. But it had to be like, you had to use the vegetable and really make it shine. Highlight, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, this guy did, like, he just literally made an onion. Like, he just, like, made the best onion that they ever had. Like, it was... Like, fried it or baked it? He, like, it grilled or... it. He oh. cooked it in such a way that, like, he got it... He cooked it for a long time to get to its sweetness and then put, like, a like a homemade chick like a scratch made chicken stock like emulsion in between the different layers of the onion and used all these different parts like it was a whole thing yeah yeah very good i mean i guess depending because i'm not a huge fan of onion but i do like once you kind of cook it down and get to like that sweet sure yes yeah that was actually fun yesterday because i tried a new recipe that i got from valerie bertinelli cooking with valerie or whatever her show's called i think it's cooking with something like that or valerie's kitchen you know all those kinds of things but anyways it was a beef bracciole so it's like you oh bracciole yeah yeah, italian yes very delicious where you kind of like um you make the the we got top sirloin steak and you 
uh, like hammer it, you know, so it's super, super, super thin. And then you uh, put prosciutto on it. And then this like breadcrumb mixture with like parsley and olive oil and, you know, spices and such. And you roll them. So it's these cute little like meat Swiss rolls. And then yep. you like sear those off and then you cook them in like homemade, you know, you build the the sauce from, it's like, I, I did onion. I don't think Valerie Bertinelli likes onion, so she didn't put onion in hers, but onion, red wine, tomatoes, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you bake it or you cook it in like a Dutch oven for, you know, two or three hours. Mm. It was really good. Yeah, super, super yummy. And Jeffrey made a cauliflower mash to go with it. Uh, and I made a caprese salad. Mm. Yeah, it was super yum. It was a lovely dinner. So, Welcome to Fright Culinary School. I know, right? Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, that that would be the other kind of show I would want to make, want to do is like a cooking a podcast show. about cooking. Yeah, I don't know what. I, no, actually, I do know. My dream would be to have to do like, um, like maybe something like dinner music or something where it's like mm-hmm. you get musicians to come on, talk about their music like play their songs and then talk about uh, their favorite dish to prepare Ooh. and then give like the recipe and like talk about it and stuff. That's like, that would be, the, that would be a really cool. It's like a combination of like barefoot Contessa yes. meets live at Daryl's house. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I precisely. like that a lot. Yeah. 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 And then sometimes I could like join in or we could like do a cover together or something. It would be like a fun, fun kind of show. That would be the other kind of, podcast that i think would be fun to me would you do like just like any dish they want or would it be like a specific like this is a dish that you eat after the tour or after the no end of the night? just whatever like, the best thing they make or mm. the favorite thing that they make you know or like you know their grandmother's favorite recipe or something sure. you know whatever i don't care they could just pick a recipe that they like okay. that they really like and the history behind it the story behind it you know that kind of thing sure okay that'd be super fun I'm so, sure stuff like that exists but I have not gone out to seek out to see <laughs> so you're gonna what, you're gonna like watch Stevie Nicks like make a grilled cheese or exactly. something exactly <laughs> that'd be awesome are you kidding yes Rihanna and yeah. then you fry the cheese and yeah Stevie Nicks uses craft singles and <laughs> Wonder Bread exactly <laughs> That would be the real twist. Yes. That would be the real twist. Uh, but anyways, back to you. Uh, that's uh, I'm really glad that Top Chef is back, and I hope that you're enjoying it. I, I am. <laughs> I'm enjoying it a lot. They're doing this really interesting thing where it is. Um, it's they're showing the episode streaming on Peacock, but the so there's a second Top Chef. There's like a side by side show where. Um, the eliminated chefs can compete to get back on the show, and that's called Last Chance Kitchen. The Last Chance Kitchen um, episodes are on Hulu, but the original shows are on Peacock, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. So, but but you know, it also made me like look at what else is on Peacock, and I realized, oh fuck, I still need to watch. Uh, um, I still need to watch Poker Face. Oh, yeah. Um, we finished that too. I oh, here's actually speaking of things that I finished. I can't believe it is. I finished you finally. Oh, okay. Uh, so season the final season of you. I think season four. Um, it was released in two different parts. One in March and uh, one in February. One in March, and um, I finished it. And I, I I'm a little muddled uh, with the ending uh, because I was. Was ex- this a series finale? It was a series finale. Oh, so it's oh, okay. Like it's, it's over, over, um, and like I'm a little muddled because like he, 
it's not as it's not as satisfying as I want it to be. It was kind of giving Dexter vibes, the the ending of Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a way that like I think I wanted I think I wanted it to do more. Okay. Um what I do like and appreciate about the the ending though is that there um spoilers for you, but um there the character of Joe who is, you know, the stalker serial killer, he actually has like more he is like fully self-aware. Mm-hmm. So like the entire series he um he's been like living in kind of this denial um the entire time of like his true nature unlike dexter which like dexter is very aware and accepting of dark passenger this guy is like you know trying to convince himself that he is not a murderer he is not a stalker Mm. and like all his scenes are him murdering and stalking right (laughs) but at the end there's a self-awareness of like no i am this this is a part of me and um, we're just getting started, kind of. So hmm. it's really, it's pretty interesting and fascinating how that happens. I wonder if they'll do some like movies or some other offshoots of it or something. You know, I'm not sure. I know Penn Badgley has had, who plays uh, Joe Goldberg, he has had a complicated relationship with the character yeah. because like his whole thing is like, you shouldn't like him. Like, Yeah, I saw an interview he gave about that. Yeah. Um, and then he had a very interesting like a boundary that was set for this season. Like he had asked for fewer sex scenes, Um, especially because like they did turn the sex all the way up in seasons two and three uh, because they were also on Netflix. Season one was in lifetime originally canceled. Then it moved to Netflix and like seasons two and three are my like probably my favorite seasons of the whole thing, but he had asked for there to be no sex scenes or minimal sex scenes, uh, mainly because, you know, he uh, wanted to remain faithful to his wife. Ah, Like it was really interesting and, Mm. and, you know, it was a little sweet, a little fascinating how like you can get around that, especially because like that's part of the character's appeal uh, to a lot of people is how, um kind of steamy and intimate um it gets plus it's most of the most of the show is narration so like you know hearing him describe it like there's a little bit of an asmr quality to his um to his voice yeah i I like dexter dexter's really nice that way exactly it gives a lot of dexter yeah um so i think that's one of the reasons why i like the show so much Yeah, yeah 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 um so they i loved how they like knowing that um knowing that he asked for that um it was interesting how they kind of worked around it because like they still managed to make it a pretty steamy sexy show but like they uh did it in my opinion they did it more tastefully and everything um breakout star of the series though lucas gage um who got a little with and action Lucas Gage got a little with and action, which I thought was great for him. Um, but Lucas Gage being, um, um, oh my God, I forget. I think his name's Adam in the, in the show. Uh, and we may know him from many things, but most recently uh, season one of white Lotus getting his ass ate. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Yeah, that uh, scene from the White Lotus will forever be in our memories. <laughs> what, I, I mean, like it was, 
I mean, you know, not groundbreaking, but it was definitely shocking uh, when I saw it. But I, part of me was also like, that's not really how you. I know. <laughs> yeah, I remember sitting with like a group of people and we were watching it, and I was just like, mm, that's not really, you know. That's not, not at least that's not not as, mechanically. It's not as accessible as they could be. <laughs> but whatever, maybe that's. I was that's like, I was like, sis, you're you're really like you know, you're really digging in there, right? <laughs> it would be like, oh god, here we go. It would be like, it would be like someone sniffing for truffles in the trunk and not at the base, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was definitely one of those scenes where you're just like, well, it's not exactly the mechanics to use your word of it, but whatever. It was still one of those things I was like, oh, all right. We're doing that now. That's what happened. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you uh, at least got to, you know, watch the end. Because, I mean, if it got canceled, it could have never even went to series at all. So, hey, you know, you got a little story to explore over the last few years. And hopefully they, you know... I mean, I'm probably not going to watch that because I remember hearing what it was about. And I was yeah. just like, I'm not interested. I remember we talked about this years ago, I think, on the show yeah. even. It, I, I don't recommend it. Yeah. If exactly. you're not already a fan, then I don't recommend it. It's such very complicated subject yeah. matter and very triggering for people who have that experience or, yeah. you know, yeah. who know those things. But so. if people are um, unhappy with the way it ends or, you know, or if it's muddled, like you said, then maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they'll make a film or maybe they'll do another, you know special set of episodes or something who knows but yeah whatever all righty well um dj diggy biscuits uh <laughs> yeah i guess we'll take a quick break and we'll be back to uh take it all the way back to 1944 with gaslight hi friends the world got you down don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gaslighting. 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 Shit's getting real. Shit's getting real. <laughs> Uh, welcome back. Yes, we are finally. I don't know how we haven't done this movie in all the all this time. You know, especially when we did that whole like dive into like feminism. You know, when we did the mm-hmm. we did a whole like year. It felt like of we uh, did do a year. Yeah, that was like our like second a whole season semester. Of, yeah, um, our whole school year devoted to feminist films, and uh, somehow we never did Gaslight. Now, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like horror horror like that happens on the show but it's, it's a psychological thriller so it is under the umbrella yeah it's gothic of, of the horror ish. genre yes it's very gothic it's noir film noir yeah um very fun example of that 
Uh, but yeah, so 1944, directed by George Cukor, uh, or Cukor, Cukor, C-U-K-O-R. I'm not exactly sure how you say it, but no. Cucker? Cocker. Uh, no, <laughs> that was just his uh, side gig. Yes. <laughs> he, he's uh, George Cuck. Yes. He's uh, a little cucker. He was a, uh, uh, um, a, a, known. a known homosexual. Well, it was like an open secret, but yeah. his place for a while in the, like, the 40s, 50s, 60s was like the place for the, uh, for the homosexuals to hang out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so he yeah, was known. Cary Grant. Yes. Rock Hudson, like all those guys, and their yeah. you know golf caddies, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their traveling companions, their traveling could all be comfortable <laughs> in style, uh, you know, and to, to talk about golf caddying and yes. companioning, uh, of course, of course, of course, and nothing else, no other things. Yes. Were happening. My gardener, my yeah. Uh... <laughs> um, <laughs> and we got uh, Charles. Uh, is it Boyer? Is that how that's said, or is it Boyer? B o y e r. I would just maybe let's not complicate it. Charles, I don't know. Anyways, French over here wants to like make everything an accent. Right. The so. more important thing uh, person is Ingrid Bergman. Yes. Um, sorry, I called her a thing because, as we know at this time, women were property. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant person. Um, Ingrid Bergman, uh, Joseph Cotton, and Miss Angela Lansbury just serving all kinds of uh, sassiness. And, yes. And and cocknery. Yes. <laughs> Yes, she's serving all the cocknery. <laughs> she really, it, it's like, you watch this movie, it's like, yeah, she definitely kind of steals some of the scenes she's in with her yeah. with her uh, uh, her face. Yes. Her whole face, just making all kinds of uh, expressions. Um, it's from a play by Patrick Hamilton, who uh, also famously wrote Rope. The oh, play that Hitchcock. Uh, so he had two at this roughly around the same time. Because when did Rope uh, the film come out? That was we did a whole episode on. I can't remember. Nineteen forty-eight. So just a few years later, two very uh, you know popular and famous and well-regarded yeah. horror psychological thriller films based on plays by him. Um, Gaslight. His original play was actually written in nineteen thirty-eight, and it goes. It's called something else. Oh, Angel Street. They changed the name to like avoid confusion or something with like the films. Cause this, this actual film that we watched, uh, Gaslight, the 44 film is, is based on, is a remake of a British film from 1940. Oh, okay. And so the studio MGM, uh, actually tried to, they said they would make it, invest all this money in it. As long as the original film, all of its negatives, any copy of it was destroyed. But it survived. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the that was the thing that they were going to do that. And it varies a bit from the play and the original movie, from what I understand. But I've not seen the 1940 version. I did try to find it. So I don't know. Maybe at some point we'll watch that too and see. We'll do, we compare sure. it. We can compare and contrast it. We need to summon up the film freaks to figure out if it's trapped somewhere. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, no. Actually, you can find it on Amazon. Oh, streaming. interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Um. I just meant that I've never watched it before. I, I don't know. Anyways, mm-hmm. sorry. Was it also called Angel Street? No, it's called Gaslight. Okay. But I think uh, the original play, it's two words, Gaslight. Oh, I see. Uh, and then they made the film Gaslight and then um, and then this this uh, version. So it, uh, it was just made on a bigger scale. It had a bigger budget. Um, and it just uh, has some... You just stuff in it that's, you know, the, the benefit of having a giant studio behind you. Sure. 
Um, and as most of us know, uh, these days, cause I think gaslight or gaslighting was like the 2022 Webster Merriam dictionary word yeah. of the year. So most mm-hmm. of us have now become familiar with the term, but it's, uh, famously, uh, we've have, um, it's called denominalized. We denominalization of the title into a verb. So being, it's been verbed, mm-hmm. uh, like getting Dixie chicked. You know, when you say something political and get in trouble for it. And then they famously made an album called Gaslighter with the song called Gaslighter. So see how it all just comes back around? All about Gaslighter. Look at you connecting all those dots. Right. Uh, Look at you sitting in the waiting room with the children. Charlie Kelly smoking a cigarette with 10,000 things glued to the wall and red string. Uh, That's that's constantly what's going on in my mind. Um, In fact, the other day we were listening to um, Morrissey's uh, song, Suedehead, and I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, this sounds like it's like, the lyrics from it sound like a Joan Arbitrating song, The Weakness of Me. Guess what? I look it up. It was. He was inspired by that song. Who knew? But that's how my brain works. I'm like, there's got to be a connection here. Uh, Anyways, that's... That doesn't didn't need. I didn't need to say all that. No. Boy, Why are you bringing Morrissey into this? I know that racist. Know. Right? Yeah. Fuck him. Except that he does hate the monarchy, and we do love that about him. But okay. otherwise, yeah, we don't. We don't. He hates care. the monarchy and black people. Yeah, he's gross. Um, <laughs> we're gonna have to like cut this whole section out. Uh, anyways, <laughs> back to the point. Uh, Gaslight. It is a film about a husband who is uh, trying to drive his wife insane so that he can uh, basically rob her blind. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. That's what this movie is about. Uh, Joe, what did you think of uh, Old Gaslight? I loved it. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. I loved it. That poof that wrote this, <laughs> man, like he understood the assignment. I mean, because I loved Rope as well. Um, I this... Now, I don't know if Patrick Hamilton was queer. That I don't know. I said what I said. Okay. All right. I just want to say that's unconfirmed. <laughs> I don't know. I know he was an alcoholic. I yeah. found that out. And uh, well, kind of had a, a chances rather, are a rather sad life. And he was a, kind of an angry, uh, misanthropic person. You're as not, evidenced uh, by yeah. these. <laughs> you're writing. not. You're not in. You're not doing anything to be like he's not a big old one. So, um, yeah, I loved it. I lo- I loved it a lot. It totally makes sense now. Why? Because if you said this is the same guy who did rope. Like, I loved Rope as well. And I think this is like, this is one of those movies that you're going to put on in the background. Um, I would watch this again, but in that context where it's just like, you know, it's a background movie. Um, it really, I think what I love the most about it was that it really does like give you the textbook definition of gaslighting <laughs> the yes. entire fucking time. That's, yeah. It would be like, you know, it it would be like if you had a movie called, um, if you had a movie called, uh, I mean, like if you had a movie called Munchausen's by Proxy and it was just that the entire time, (laughs) um, it was beautiful. Uh, Mm. I loved every minute of it. Ingrid Bergman was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I did not know this until you mentioned it, but Ingrid Bergman is the mother of Isabella Rossellini, who is yeah. one of my favorite people in the world. Um, and it shows because she looks exactly like her. Yeah. Yeah. They share a lot of features. Yeah. The eyes and like just the face in general. Um, my dear. 
it was very good. I'm so happy uh, that I got to watch it. I mean, you saw me like I barely had my phone in my hand. I know I would look over and you were actually like watching. <laughs> uh, my attention was wrapped. I was like, oh, my God, this poor man is gaslighting this woman with literal gaslights. <laughs> because uh, so i'm like also that's part of like why i was like rap because i was like i don't want to blink and miss where the gaslights come into play right because that was like a whole part of like that's a whole plot point is that you know she uh paula is like you know the gaslights are going dim that means that someone else is using them but like no one's Right, but who? But who? Yeah. But who? Yeah, I think that's one of the the, the things to know about the film is because I, I think sometimes people think that the husband is like purposely messing with the lights, and that's where the word comes from. But it's not like it's just it's a byproduct of his other behaviors because yeah. at this time, uh, it's set in eighteen seventy five. No, nineteen. No, yes, eighteen seventy five. Well, well, the <laughs> murder. Well, we had uh, the murder right. happens in eighteen seventy five or four, right? And oh. then it's 10 years after that. So okay. like 18. I mean, yeah, it's still Victorian era. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It is 1875. So yeah, it does have to be about 10 years. So whatever. It's still, it's in that. Yeah, it's in the Victorian before era. Before 1900 uh, time period where, you know, so they were piping in gas to run the lights. But if you turn on lights in another part of the house, it may pull, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Um, um, the resource to, yeah. you, to another. So the, the lights would dim and then she would hear somebody like walking around the attic and such. So that's kind of the gaslighting aspect of it. It's not that that's, that isn't actually something in the film that he is weaponizing against her. Uh, no. Cause he doesn't even really need to, cause he's constantly telling her she's crazy and constantly well, well, telling her she, that she's, it's so interesting. Cause like he's doing this whole thing where it's just like, you know, Oh, like, is there something, is someone using the lights in another part is cook is the cook Elizabeth, right? Is the cook doing, um, uh, making something. And he's like, no, everything's fine. What's yeah. going on? It's fine in here. It's not, it's not dark at all. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. He does act like, yeah. um, but it's not it's not exactly that he's uh, messing with the lights mm-hmm. in order to drive her crazy. It's ever it's all part of it. Yeah. Hey Joshua, I uh, I have a joke for you. Are you ready? Have you heard the one about uh, Have you heard the joke about gaslighting? Don't don't try it. <laughs> Come on, humor me. Have you heard the joke about gaslighting? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yes, you have. <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> Oh, Joe, you're fired. Um, <laughs> I got to derail you sometimes, keep you on your toes. Yeah, that was delightful. I really appreciate that. Um, All right. I, I, I bet it took you just so much time to write that joke, and it really worked on that. It, I did, and I just saw it as a, it was a meme. It's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Uh, all right. Well, so... Let's get down to overcomplicating gaslight, <laughs> as we like to do on this show. Yeah. So, um, what I what I actually think is kind of cool about watching this is uh, obviously the play was written in 1938. We get a film in 1940. We get another film in 1944. So, we're in that time after World War One, before you know World War Two really gets. Um, going you know at least the the united states involvement and mm-hmm. in, you know in mm-hmm. in you know with hitler and all of that uh it was a really interesting time for women so not only the not only is the, the time frame that it's working in um an interesting time for women when the, when the film comes out but the time in 
that it's set in, in sure. this like period between 1860 to like 1920 is sort of where we started to see this um we really started like socially constructing like illness for women in a way mm-hmm. so um there's this great um I guess it's like a pamphlet, I guess is what they call it. It's like 24 pages. It's called Complaints and Disorders, the Sexual Politics of Sickness Ooh, by um, Barbara uh, Ehrenreich and Deidre English. And it talks about the ways that like sickness, illness, health, wellness are socially constructed and applied to women in different ways. And so there's this idea that, you know, women are contextualized as inferior uh, in relation to, you know, the normative superior male. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, this fact, quote, is, uh, you know, used to benefit the patriarchy, capitalism, other uh, parties with power. And it's convenient uh, to utilize it, but it's often contradictory and like dissonant. So women can be both too biologically weak to work and engage in the public if they are rich at this time, while also thought of as biologically sturdier and requiring hard work to have value if they are poor or of color. So women were kind of living in this really weird space where they kind of had to invent reasons because after women got the right to vote, it's like men had to come up with ways to like keep them from actually doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, So it's like, oh, you're far too weak to be educated for because you're so inferior as mm-hmm. a sex so you just need to as as rich women like they prescribe them like lives of leisure you know you just need to sit around in your withdrawing room as we learned <laughs> <Yes>. today <laughs> you need to sit there you need to sleep you need to like you know, be very yeah. you know kept in this sort you of need to like ring the bell to have the maid put coal on the fire even though you're standing two feet from it (laughs) exactly you know so what's happening to her happened to a lot of women at that time you know especially women who had who had access to power in some ways you know she's wealthy she's inherited a lot of money she's inherited property Mm -hmm. uh you know all her wealth she all the wealth in the in between the two of them is from her yes it's her from her aunt who's been murdered and so so society kind of like got together to like concoct ways, you know, men, <laughs> the patriarchy, uh, to kind of create ways to keep rich women like out of public, out of out of educational spaces, out of political spaces, especially in the in the aftermath of like, um, you know, the women's suffrage movement that was coming. Um, sure. I realize I said the right to vote that wouldn't come till 1920, but the movement before that was very strong and very powerful. And there was also, I mean, the women's suffrage, it, this takes place in England, right? So the women's right. suffrage movement was a little ahead at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. That's also true. But I'm thinking about, you know, this being a, an yes. American-made film and released in America, kind of what it was, still what it was speaking to at the time. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, but anyways, the point is, is that in, in this time before, after you had like the first main, you know, women's movement that had sort of happened here um, and, and abroad, um, mm-hmm. you know, we just start to see these ways that we have to uh, keep, uh, it's like making upper class women sick. Uh, so mm-hmm. they would, mm-hmm. they would create infirmaries like these uh, physicians, uh, they would, um, they would say that women were naturally nervous, anxious, frail, weak, and they prescribed them isolation enforced leisure and, quite bluntly ignorance like Mm -hmm. you cannot you we cannot allow you to be educated because you're just you're far too weak for that and it will just just it will kill you if you know too much (laughs) and uh so after you had kind of this big rise uh from women it it allowed the immediate like forcing them out of political education and like public spaces sure 
And then, of course, this disengaged them from helping and being like sympathetic to the needs of um, of, of feminist causes, but that divided, you know, poor and rich women. And it just mm-hmm. continued to like grow those major like class divides. <clears throat> um and then, of course, all the other reasons, like you know, you that you we had to create more and more illnesses because it wasn't profitable to really treat poor people. Yeah. <laughs> so you, we wanted to be able to charge, you know, these rich women and 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 of course their husbands all this money to like do uh, billing. So this is kind of like a little bit of a history of um, that I, I I studied in a uh, I, part of it was studying in women in history, but also gender and technology mm-hmm. uh, course that I took. Uh, so some of this is kind of I'm pulling from that the research of that. Um, and of course, on the other side, what I oh I do like this, which kind of happens. This happens in the movie towards the end. So uh, the subversion uh, of this situation by rich women is really kind of fascinating, kind of cool. So although women didn't have a lot of power in uh, like the public spaces, they kind of weaponized this like institutional gaslighting of them against men in some mm-hmm. ways. So like for instance, um, uh, you know, they could avoid unwanted sex. Uh, so while men were exerting quite a bit of power over their reproduction, this allowed women a bodily autonomy in some ways because uh, they could just be too, I'm just too sick, I'm just too weak, I'm just too this or that. Um, and then they would also use their illness as an excuse to let out their rage. So there was this idea that like... Um, you know, rich women were like prone to hysterical outbursts and it was just them just letting off steam because they could, because if they're, um, if they're just so sick and emotional, it's like, I might as well just scream and rave and act completely insane, which is what happens in the movie. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And so at the end, it like kind of, she turns it around on him like, Oh, I'm so sick. I'm so crazy. Right. Like this isn't a knife in my hand. Is it, where did it go? You know, I just love that whole sequence because that is something that historically, um, we did see some women, uh, do that in order just to have some control over their circumstances of being prisoners. Um, have you heard of the Sarah rule play in the next room or the vibrator play? Yeah, I, I've definitely heard that term, but go ahead. Educate. So the Sarah, it's 2009. <laughs> Elucidate. It, it's a 2009 play by Sarah rule called in the next room or, or the vibrator play. That's essentially about like, it takes place in like Victorian times where, um, ace an electrical scientist creates a device to help women with their hysteria right and their hysteria is basically inadvertently creating um a (laughs) inadvertently creating a vibrator so basically you know the cure for their hysteria is giving them orgasms yeah uh which is essentially what you're talking about um as well like it's yeah to some degree yeah yeah all of that kind of comes out of this time you know yeah so you know wellness uh orgasms <laughs> the cure for wellness the cure for wellness orgasms, is, yes yeah uh, <laughs> um yeah so i just kind of wanted to bring that up because it, it, this this is very like historically interesting to kind of think about this uh film being set in the time it was and the way the the medicalization of women was happening uh and of course on the other side like i said earlier you know we had this uh eugenics movement here and that mm-hmm. the poor were biologically inferior it had nothing to do with social context this was something that we believed and we also thought that those women needed to work hard mm-hmm. you know for their own good so it's like okay are women 
biologically weak and inferior or are they so sturdy and strong they need to be working at all times and they need to be in factories you know poor women needed to be in factories Mm -hmm. Uh, which kind of gets back then just to move this up a little bit uh, into the other point I wanted to make about the particular time that this comes out so you know men went off and done World War One men and I mean there were women involved in war efforts but generally speaking at at home, women had to go out and work, obviously, because, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. men went off to fight in, you know, various wars. So then when those men returned, it was sort of like having to gaslight women into thinking that they weren't actually as like skilled at labor and as smart and all of these things as they thought sure. they were. Uh, yeah. So we were kind of going through this whole thing. And this happened again in after World War Two uh, ended. Uh, and this is sort of what Betty Friedan writes about in The Feminine Mystique, how women went and they got educations uh, and then they became mothers and they just stayed at home being sort of like tricked by society into like thinking that this was good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some women, it certainly was, but there were plenty of women that were like unhappy with being forced back out of, you know, uh, feeling like they were contributing to society in very, very meaningful ways. And so when you go to see this movie in 1944, I just, I feel like it had to have really resonated in some way about being like, cause she does seem like a capable woman who wants mm-hmm. to like live a life. And her husband is just like, you're sick and you're, you know, you need to stay home and, um, take care of me and take, you know, take care of yourself. Yeah. And so there is this really interesting sort of, I think, cultural context for this. And then again, the other side is um, thinking about sort of what Hitler was doing at this time and politics of the time of mm-hmm. like gaslighting and, and um, you know, saying, no, this isn't what we're doing. We have no intention of committing mass murder, <laughs> uh, even though they had clearly been saying that for a while. And it clearly yeah. built uh, camps and... Um, um, you know, other other systematic means to commit mm-hmm. genocide uh, while on the world stage behaving as it. It's like, what? What are you talking about? That's not happening. Yep. Don't look behind me. <laughs> that you did not see what you thought you saw. No. Um, Get it? You did not see? Exactly. Oh my gosh, I didn't mean to say that. But <laughs> that's terrible. Um, but it's that exact thing. It's like, you know, the people start saying, no, we have seen these camps. We have seen this happen. It's like, no, you didn't. Um, I was trying to find, I had found a, a really interesting quote that kind of uh, talked about that. Because it was sort of also, it was contextualizing like the mm-hmm. Trump era politics, you know, mm-hmm. like when we think mm-hmm. about 2016. It's not a travel ban. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. And all the other things, um, you know, um, Gosh darn it! Where was that? There, it was such a good uh, comparison about. Um, yeah. Oh, Hitler's idea was never to make the people doubt their own sanity, but reinforce their trust that the state couldn't possibly be unreasonable. Um, this was through the big lie, and the big lie. There's always a certain force of credibility. It would never come into the broad masses of the nation's heads to fabricate colossal untruths, and they now what they would not believe that others could have the uh, impudence to distort the tre- truth so emphasis infamously um so basically we'd be crazy to think the person stating truth would be crazy enough to make such a crazy claim if it weren't indeed the truth like isn't that a bit of a like but i feel like this is the same thing like when you listen to like trump talk it's Uh like this is insane but some people are hearing him uh, like perfectly clear like as if he's like the most brilliant mind they're like no he's just saying it like it is it's like you can't see the ways you're being like manipulated and like you're being gaslighted yeah um Let's see. I know there was something else. Because that was a big thing. Because, like, Jewish people at the time were like, y'all, 
this is real and we need to like take yeah. this seriously. Like they were fleeing as early as 1922, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 1922, they were fleeing to the Balkans from Germany and like warning American papers that were like talking about Hitler before, you know, he became what he became. But when he was just sort of the, you know, the leader of um, this sort of rising political movement, uh, they were afraid enough to run and flee, but that wasn't enough for like people to believe that something really bad was on on its way. Sure, uh, which is just again really really fascinating. Like you're being told like this isn't. But again, when we found out what it was, it was just the uh, the unimaginable magnitude of the Holocaust. It was hard to believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it makes sense. Like you you know imagine being there in the 40s and like never having access to information like we did before like the like yeah. world war ii really brought that kind of changed the way news and the war you know all of yeah. that the way that we communicate about these things yes yeah. it's the birth of it's also the birth of like the modern um it's the birth of communication studies because communication studies right. comes out of propaganda studies yep. uh, or study of propaganda yeah. and that is like one of the ways in which that um hitler was able to be as influential as he was because he was a very dynamic and um, dynamic and persuasive speaker. He yeah. used film, he used radio, he used the, he used the mass media. And in fact, those, uh, those Jews, those thinkers who fled, um, who are one of the, the first people to flee, they um, are the first huge critics of like any sort of mass communication, mass media, even on, even for movies, the yeah. way for, you know, saying that mass communication is a way for people to um, disengage and not be as engaged in reality. Um, they said this about movies. I think I'm, I'm thinking of like the, the Frankfurt school, Horkheimer, Adorno, you know, fun is a medicinal bath type of thing so right yeah it's yeah yeah no that is a great point so it just kind of get really further contextualized this film where you know it was a big hit it was nominated for seven oscars mm-hmm. won a couple uh it's very well regarded just in 2019 was added to the american whatever the national film what is it they call the library of congress film. uh the national film registry yeah um, in 2019? Yeah. That seems really late. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's because of the growing influence that it had. Um, yeah. 2019, selected for preservation by the National Film Registry, being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And you think about the term itself becoming this big thing in 2016. Now, it's been used before. It's been, I think, I found, like, even in, the like, the 70s it was used, and, you know, possibly even before that, but mm-hmm. in American television, even, it was used on in, in, in a 1970s um, show. I can't remember what it was. So, it's not as if it was a brand new term, but it really kind of took on new meaning in in the Trump era. Mm -hmm. And we saw lots more discussion of it and lots more use of it. And like I said, you know, we get a big song by, by the chicks in, um, in Gaslighter. Um, So yeah, it's like super fascinating, the whole kind of thing. And it really does come down to just typical, like narcissistic manipulation. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like gaslighting is, 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 is is easy term to talk about instead of like getting into like the psychological manipulative, um, emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. um, um, psychological abuse that, that gaslighting, uh, is, it's just a nice, easy, quick term to, to, um, know what we mean when we say that. Um, especially when you talk to people who are being abused, who are, yeah. you know, to, to, they, they know this term now. Um, so it's a nice um, shorthand. Yeah. Uh, but and it's not la- a new phenomenon, yeah. obviously. And isn't language fascinating, right? Like, yeah. this is like one of the first, this is like a term that is deaf, like that has a word that has come to 
that has come to prominence and to in popular use, but it's like directly influenced by a movie, by a yeah. film, you know, it's, um, in that way, it's just like, it's interesting about language. Um, yeah. So, uh, something else just to get us out of, uh, the, <laughs> the historical stuff. And again, there's so much more. I mean, there's a lot of great articles written about this time and, um, mm-hmm. And, and how this film is like contextualized, especially again, we have the benefit of hindsight. And so to be able to look back and be like, what a, I mean, what a crazy thing for this movie to come out at this particular time in history. Yeah. Uh, it really just highlights the overall like feeling that both women had, but then as like, as a world, yeah. um, as a global uh, experience of like what was happening at this time. It's, it's just super fascinating. Uh, something else that I wanted to talk about that I just thought was kind of fun. Um, this is from, uh, there's a, uh, what is this? This is uh, senses of cinema. Dot com mm-hmm. had an article written the madman in the attic gaslight and the psycho dandy so it's sort of this um uh analysis of uh the character in the film um played by um shoot what was his name oh that's charles so gregory anton but who's actually sergis sergis bauer mm-hmm. the villain of the story uh, and kind of talking about how, uh, you know, he's this, this character of who's like, you know, well-dressed and, uh, you know, just the, a dandy, we know what a dandy mm-hmm. is, but you know, he's, uh, he's the villain, he's evil. Um, but what I kind of liked about the discussion, uh, of him is that he's not like your typical, uh, like homosexual villain. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think he's exactly, he's not, um, um, contextualize as queer necessarily, like yeah. as, as, as mm-hmm. at least as a man interested in men, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but cause he has a wife, he has kids in another place. I, I do. I think he seems to have a sexual interest in Angela Lansbury's character. You know, they get kind of flirt and stuff with each other. But what I thought was interesting about this, um, analysis of him is like, he's not really interested in anybody. He's actually possibly suffering from like objectophilia. Uh, so it's this idea that he's in love with objects. Like when he's talking about like the jewels, yeah. how like beautiful they are. And he, he like humanizes the jewels mm-hmm. and he's like in this like uh, search for them. So it's, it's like, he's very materialistic. Um, and I just thought that was kind of a fun twist because usually at this time you know when you get that kind of dandy type character it's like oh well he's gay he hates women so of course he's like that's where that sort of comes from is like that we you know like we're queer because we just hate women so much that we can't bear to like be with them so we have to murder them or gaslight them <laughs> in this or sure. or commit other acts of violence or aggression uh, towards them and so he's he's not exactly that sort of uh, character. He kind of reminds me again. I could, I, I add him, um, not exactly rope. I do say rope is also a psycho dandy yeah. kind of trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's more on a, you know, more on the queer, but like, I think of American psycho, uh, Patrick Bateman, mm. uh, you know, Christian Bale's character in that he's very, very, you know, well-dressed and like takes care of himself. There are whole sequences of him, like doing his facial care mm-hmm. and exercising, take care of himself. He's very dedicated to his own beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, while also committing these like you know horrific uh, serial killing acts, Dandy and America, Dandy Mott, yeah, he was my next right, yes. Dandy Mott, <laughs> who also doesn't strike me as queer. I mean, he's um, you know he, I do think he liked the the girls, the twins, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak. Um, I think that uh, it, it is a particular kind of like heterosexual ish. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, character. Yeah. So I don't know. I was curious what you thought about. Have you ever heard that term before, psycho dandy? Because we've talked about psycho biddies before. Yes. Uh, um, but psycho dandy, I'd never really heard that before. And I've like, heard oh. of dandy, but only in like a queer, you know, theory. Usually type it of, is. Usually yeah. it's like stressed in that in more of that way. Which like I also see like when you have like it makes sense. It makes sense uh, uh, to me when it's in that context of like the misogyny. And I love how you just like you know laid that out of like you know oh like you know we we hate women so much that we must kill them because we do not want to be with them we do not right. want to sleep with them that's like the 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 um uh, that's like the idealization that's the horror of it. that's why you know mm-hmm. you see us in that kind of position uh sometimes i think that there's part of part of it is informed by that i could it also be and this is just me spitballing right like could it also be that like we are also jealous of them because they get to be with men in a way that we don't yeah oh absolutely i think that's part of um oh what is the movie there's a movie like that well we see that in like rebecca yeah mm-hmm. you know so uh, the, the maid yeah with the maid so we see that too with uh with i guess it's probably i shouldn't just like contextualize it with like queer men because queer women kind of get pulled in this too um there was something i was recently watching actually about um oh shit what was it uh, I'm not, I, I don't know, but it, it, it kind of had something similar where I was like, wait a second, is this going to be some like evil lesbian character who's like, you know, trying to kill everybody? Um, what the hell was it? And was it? No, I think it turned out to be something else. But Tom Holland's character, season two. <laughs> oh, of, uh... you know what? I actually think it was, we were talking, I think it was with um, mm-hmm. the White Lotus season two. Tom Hollander's character? No, the woman, the um Oh, the, the front desk. Oh, uh, uh, Valentina. Hotel. Yeah, Valentina. I think it was her that I was thinking like not that she was going to be a murderer, but I'm like are they like trying to villainize her with cuz she was kind of creepy with that girl. Yeah. You know, uh in a weird way like buying her things and doing stuff. And I was like where is yeah. this going and what are they trying to send a message to us about? Because you're also right Tom Holland's character or Tom Hollander's character. Yeah. I made that mistake too cuz I call him Tom Holland and people yeah. were like that's not who that is. I'm like whatever. Tom Hollander. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Like they, yeah, these like evil homosexuals, these evil gays are out to get her. These gays are trying to murder me, (laughs) Mika Piche. Come on. Um, Although actually really quick, do you think they actually were like I'm trying to kill her? her. Oh, well, spoilers for White Lotus. Um, We could talk about it off, but I was kind of watching it. I'm like, I still feel like, do we really know what was happening? I think think that that's intentional. Um, I think that the I think they laid they set the table so much. I know. That yeah. like it's hard to not think about it that way, especially like the one guy who I think this is the one guy who got away, but like he was just like crying. <laughs> right. Um at that but like I, I was also watching it. Well, and they I'm do like, knock down the door into the room. Yeah. So if they were really not trying to hurt her, then yeah. they probably wouldn't have broken the door. So I guess, yeah, it does make sense that they were. I just wish that we had more confirmed yeah. details about what was going on. But I did feel it was a little bit regressive in a way. But yeah. I also was thinking, have we gotten so meta and so far into the future that we can have evil gays again? Like, you know, like it's okay to like demonize the homosexual. <laughs> uh, true, true. I just think it's really, I just thought it was just like, interesting how like her entire life right her entire life she has been um she's been 
both the person pulling the strings as we see with uh belinda the spa manager in season one and then we see it and then in season two like you know she's having the strings pulled on her by her husband uh by these gays right and then she takes control of it takes control of the situation starts killing everybody only to die the like (laughs) in the worst way um undignified and by accident and completely by accident yeah no exactly yeah the whole thing but anyways back back to this i was just like thinking about the ways that queer people are usually contextualized as villains especially Mm -hmm. in these time periods because it's like okay well you can have a gay person on screen but they have to be a bad person or they have to suffer some kind of you know morality and and like it makes sense that it was like going in that direction right because of everything that happens with jack and portia like Jack is completely terrified, like drops Portia off at the airport. Right. You know what I mean? Like just says, go away, which like, girl, don't like, you're going to get on a plane and your fucking boss is dead. Like you're suspect number one at that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Um, so yeah, just to kind of pull it back to um, Gaslight. So yeah, I just like that. It's like the husband is a man whose primary erotic response is not to women or even to other men, but to jewels, to priceless, coldly exquisite objet d'art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in uh, it's this archetype of the psycho dandy, an immaculately groomed gentleman of refined taste mm-hmm. and non-existent morals, who would turn without scruple to murder, to possess the objects of his desire. And then it kind of goes on to talk about some other examples, which again compares like each of these men is like, implicitly mm-hmm. gay or at least asexual. Um, he doesn't; they don't want to have sex with these women. It's mm-hmm. about the uh, it's about the you know the possession of of whatever um i'm just seeing if there were any other points about this that i thought was interesting it is kind of cool that they get bergman to play this role because um you know she's somebody who had made all of these really uh you know these other types of films she was kind of thought of as like as a strong woman Mm -hmm. so kind of subverting that in this film is really interesting um but like it completely redeems it at the end and that's yeah. the other thing too that's the insidiousness of the, like the gaslighting in the film is that like he took this woman who was beautiful strong happy beyond beyond happy in the beginning um well i mean you know as happy as you can be still recovering from the trauma of mur- finding your aunt murdered um and then like you know taking her twisting her driving her to the edge of madness and then yeah. at the very end her she claims that yeah exactly um oh i did there was one more point that i thought was kind of cool so um Kukor, Kukor, I, I, I really wish I would have figured out how to say his name. That's so bad. I, I always um, criticize others when they do that. So look at me. I, the, I'm the problem. It's me. Uh, a discreet but openly gay director in a homophobic Hollywood system uh, reinvented the camp and asexual archetype of the psycho dandy as a potent heterosexual love god. At the end of Gaslight, when Boyer is caught and led away by the force of justice, his villainy exposed and plain for all to see, at least half of the women in the audience, and most likely some of the men, would gladly accept his offer of a date. So I think it's kind of cool of like twisting, you know, you have a queer director twisting a famously uh, an archetype used to demean and villainize uh, queer men into this in this sort of way. I think it's kind of cool. 
Uh, other stray observations before we wrap up. Um, I am definitely Mrs. Thwaites. Yes! That's my character. I'm here for her all the way. She's like an early true crime enthusiast with her uh, diggy biscuits. I love her. I'm here for her. I know. I was like bursting into people's houses, asking questions, being nosy. Uh, uh, Makes you wonder if like, you know, a young uh, Angela Lansbury, it was inspired by her with Jessica (laughs) Fletcher. Yeah. Um, It's like, who was that woman I was in that movie with? Yeah. She's just like all like, like literally like storming her way into the house to like see where the people are being murdered and it's like oh he's got you know it's like six wives i'm like she's she's one of the like oh you're you're a you're a true crime podcaster now yes she absolutely would be we need to talk about my remake oh right yes Yes. you want to make your you want to do your remake yes we're gonna do a remake all right everybody everybody here's the pitch right now so if this happens copyright copyright i'm owed money okay copyright so Joe. here we go Joe, uh we're gonna MC remake gaslight <laughs> we're gonna yes we're gonna remake which are the food that mrs thwaites makes yes oh the digestive digestive biscuits right uh so we are going to remake uh, uh gaslight and we're gonna do it with jordan peele directing okay um it's going to have audra mcdonald as the aunt okay um, as aunt alice we're gonna get a little more extended sequence with her then a little she's bit she's gotta sing something she's, yeah us. we're gonna have her sing a little yeah. bit okay. i like the idea of putting her making her be like an opera singer or yeah. some sort of diva-ish type person yeah. so she you know she'll be there we'll have kiki palmer as paula okay i'm thinking maybe a little sterling k brown as uh serge uh, sergis aka yeah. uh whatever his name was what was his name Sergius uh george george yeah um we'll do maybe joseph gordon levitt as uh the detective um and the thing about it is that it will all take place around like you know uh the hip-hop at the atlanta hip-hop scene oh okay um and wow, so you're really yeah updating I mean, it uh, we're, we're up we're we're updating it all Did the you way say who the angela lansbury character is uh yes uh angela lansbury will be uh <laughs> we're thinking either megan the stallion or cardi b will cardi be angela lansbury. Fa- that's my that's my favorite she's like the gaslighting gaslighting yep. up in here um and and now thinking about like Miss Thwaites, like Miss Thwaites, I would love her to be uh, Octavia Spencer, but like <laughs> listening to like a true pod, true kind podcast. Yeah, look at you. Yeah. Why don't people take your suggestions for? I don't know. For I films? don't know. And then know. you said Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the police officer. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the police officer. Right. Interesting falling in love with joseph gordon love at kiki palmer i'm i'm still i'm not married to kiki palmer i think it would be fun so like you know I'm i used to after her to playing anything. all of these other kind of strong um w- it would be interesting to see her in that kind of role yeah. i mean i mean i'm not really invested yeah. in this this is like your your thing this is well could we Joe's. also do it could it also be like we don't have to do like the black version we could do also a queer version as well and make it a little bit more horrific so you know we could do <laughs> Where like you know a man is gaslighting you know his lover his yeah. like younger twink lover and you know to thinking and still have Audrey McDonald yeah and we can get Brian Singer to play that role <laughs> and I oop <laughs> all right well on that note we have talked long enough that was Gaslight 1944 uh, obviously it's in you know informed I I feel like a lot of um, 
horror, especially like women's horror, like when we have these kinds yeah. of conversations. A lot of real life horror. Too. Yeah, yeah. And again, when you we think of like, you know, I mean, there's so many movies. Rosemary's Baby, for instance. Uh, we talked a little bit about this when we talked about Gothica. You know, just uh-huh. This idea mm-hmm. of like the presence of gaslighting and 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 these behaviors are, have long um, been an important part of, of horror. Yeah. So we salute you, Gaslight 1944. Thank you for your service. Uh, with that, uh, thank you to all of our Patreon members. We so appreciate you and, um, you know, all of the, the support you give us. You, dear listener, for listening to this. I just... And if you're not a Patreon uh, subscriber, please consider being a Patreon subscriber. Um, you have access to videos of... Uh, videos of our conversations, a few of our conversations when we record remotely. <laughs> uh, sometimes we'd like it the old way, you know. The old we, way. We yes. don't re- we don't record the old way. Um, you can also join us on the After Fright School special, where you can look um, at, uh, you can consume uh, Joshua's. Uh, <laughs> disgust for movies like bros and uh shows uh, like heartstopper shows like heartstopper uh i don't know maybe josh was tortured i'm being gaslighted by joe yes it's like uh, why do you think this is a good movie like uh this is not a good movie she's especially of like my best friend's wedding she's terrible she's the villain um, yes, but time has sided with me on that one. Yes, so time has sided with thing. you. We have now <laughs> revealed Julia Roberts to be the villain in, in that one. So please consider uh, supporting us um, at any level possible for um, uh, for Patreon. And uh, don't forget, also, we are part of the, proudly a part of the Geekscape Network. Yes, we have yes, plenty yes. of uh, there's plenty of great content there. Uh, so check out our lovely partners, our siblings, yes. brothers, sisters, siblings. Uh, at uh, Geekscape. Yes, I love it. All right, thank you, and good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 